We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to the Rotowire NFL DFS podcast. I almost said baseball podcast. It is Scott Jensted, joined by uh, Derek Van Riper. We are here for week one of the season. I, I can't believe it's uh, it's finally here. It seems like uh, it seems like it took a long time to get here, but then this last few weeks it really snuck up. So uh, Derek and I are going to be hitting the uh, hitting the Sunday slate every week for you. Uh, it, it'll be up on Wednesdays or Thursdays. We uh, we're still trying to figure out an exact day. It was uh, going to be Wednesday this week, and I had the commitment, so we pushed it to Thursday. But it'll be Wednesday or Thursday every week. Uh, Derek, it's going to be uh, fun to do this with you. How's everything going? Things are going well. Scheduling issues are the bane of my existence in early September. <laughs> it, it is for yep. everybody. You got the baseball football overlap. You got Labor Day. You got just a million things going on. So it's life. I'm, I'm used to it by now, but it, it still it still surprises me sometimes how crazy things get. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I'm actually in a crazy work week too. So you add that in there with trying to do baseball stuff. I have to write an article for the website tonight. Uh, we're doing this, and I got the baseball podcast. So it's been a it's been it's been a crazy couple weeks here. But uh, DFS wise, I, I always find week one really really hard. Like I'm someone who really likes to study the the, the the two or three weeks that have already happened. I like to really look at what's going on, past results, current form, that kind of stuff. I feel kind of uh, out in the open a little bit week one. There's some opportunities with uh, you know guys that are cheaper than they should be. That's certainly out there too. But the NFL so much changes uh, you know season to season. I don't. It's hard to say that you know suddenly Jacksonville's the best defense. You know we'll have to see a few weeks to see if that's still the case. Obviously they still have the talent, but you know defenses really change a lot year to year. Offensive coordinators change year to year. Um, I find week one to be the hardest DFS week. Although there, like I said, there are some opportunities to kind of sneak in if you really like someone and you can kind of get them through to low percentage. Yeah. So I think there's a, a few different strategies questions you sort of have to answer in week one that are unique to the first week of the season and 
that sort of centers on those players that pop up with a lot more you know, projected value than expected. Guys like James Conner, uh, Alfred right. Morris, and Matt Breida, Peyton Barber. I mean, when the prices were made, when the slates first dropped, the expectation was that Le'Veon Bell would be playing this week, that Jarek McKinnon would be healthy, and you know, that Ronald Jones would probably be the lead running back for the Bucks. And that's just a, a short list of things that have changed. But you know, everybody's kind of on those guys, at least as far as ways to save a lot of money in GPPs. So you, ha- you have to go with that play fade question with each of those players. Try to figure out how much exposure you want to the, the obvious cheap plays and then try to find some guys that might be overlooked for a variety of different reasons to round out the tournament lineups especially. I think for cash game players, you know, week one is about as easy as it gets because there is so much extra value on the board. With tournaments, the game theory becomes a lot more challenging because everyone has so much time to find those obvious underpriced players. Yeah, plus we have guys, uh, you know, someone like Deshaun Watson coming back from injury. You've got, uh, you know, Delaney Walker who got banged up this week. There's a lot of guys that we just don't know their status. You've got Josh Gordon and that kind of stuff. So you, you know, a lot of guys that I want to see in week one before I really know what to do with. But, uh, yeah, you make good points about the about the pricing. You know, obviously the pricing came out really early. They like to get everybody excited about football. So that does open up some opportunities. You mentioned cash and GPP games. Uh, what sort of player are you? Like, what uh, are you a GPP guy? Are you a cash guy? Like, uh, what are we dealing with as we uh, – as we talk with you about these games. So I used to try to win a million dollars every week playing uh, DFS <laughs> football, and I haven't done it yet, and uh, it probably never <laughs> will happen, as, as math suggests, uh, and my bankroll suggests. I'm not playing 150 lineups in those tournaments. I don't have that kind of bankroll. So I've been kind of pivoting over the last two to three years, going from Charlie Bucket trying to win the big GPP to playing the single-entry tournaments, playing a little bit of cash here and there, and even just playing sometimes like the winner take all, you know, five player entry. I've, I've done a few of those uh, in in the second half of 2017. I, I actually liked that format quite a bit. So I've shifted really towards smaller contests with much higher probabilities of of cashing, and I think that's a a better balance. But I think the ultimate balance I'm striving for, if I'm going to play a mix of tournaments and cash games, I want to play enough double ups to cover my GPP entries. So. That way, at least if I have a a good general cash lineup, I'm not losing all my entry money if I don't hit in tournaments that week. Yeah, I think that uh, that makes sense. I've uh, I've kind of morphed to that too. You know, those uh, finishing the top fifty percent is a lot easier than finishing in the top ten to fifteen percent, of course. But you know, I think we all see those big numbers, and everybody wants to chase the uh, chase the big dreams. You know, you want to hit that perfect week. I find that I I usually toss my cash lineups into some sort of GPP. If it's a small one. Uh, you know, last thing I want to do is hit some perfect cash lineup that uh, it would have hit big in a GPP. So I always throw it in there, maybe for a low dollar one, just to kind of protect myself a little bit. I just, I'm not sure I can live with myself if I hit the perfect nuts lineup and I happen to not have it a GPP. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. Uh, I think you and I might be similar in that we we'd probably argue that the differences between a cash game lineup and a GPP lineup are, are smaller than some people would lead you to believe. Now there are some, I would agree. there are some very high variant strategies you can use that we would never use in a cash game that you would use in a tournament. But I think a good cash lineup can be a very good tournament lineup as well. 
Yeah, I agree too. I mean, when I make a cash lineup or a tournament lineup, I'm really trying to score as many points as possible. I'm not one that plays 150 lineups so I can, you know, throw in this one percent guy just in case. So I, I usually try and just make my best lineups and uh, and kind of spread them across the board. I do I do very little bit, you know, especially if you got a cheap guy like James Conner this week. You know, not someone that you probably want to fade in a cash lineup because that could, that could really hurt you. and It opens up so much to do, but uh, it's interesting. It should be uh, it should be fun. It's uh, it's uh, week one, so uh, we're, everybody's excited. I've got uh, I have pregame shows up on my TV right now. It just uh, it feels real all of a sudden. It's crazy how it just the switch flips, right? I mean, like the preseason <laughs> yeah. every week's kind of the same. You're just hoping nobody gets hurt for your best ball teams or for any early drafts and auctions you have, and then you get to that first week and the practice reports start coming out, and you, yeah, it, it is real. It's it's the guys that were banged up for two or three weeks in practice. They're out there on Wednesday, so you get the sense that okay, the team was just being cautious. The guys that are not out there by the end of the week. You're very worried because the time off didn't get them back to 100% health. But, yeah, I'm with you. I like getting to that regular routine. Yeah, as a 49er fan, we did not escape the preseason without uh, some bad stuff. So it's uh, that was a rough preseason. It really was. And, and yeah, San Francisco is a, is a strange team. Before we kind of dive into individual games, defensively, are they going to be a team that falls into shootouts a lot? Are they going to be a team that struggles to keep – opposing teams off the board i mean the vikings based on implied totals i think are tied for, uh, for fourth with the rams this week uh just over 26 points vikings are six and a half point favorites in that game over under 46 and to me like to have a line like that as good as minnesota's offense is it's probably a top 10 offense there has to be an element of san francisco's defense not being very good i mean as someone that watches that team every week are you concerned about the defense leaking on a regular basis I'm really concerned the first two weeks. I think they their best player and maybe you know a top five linebacker in the entire NFL, at least uh, you know by advanced metrics last year. You know Ruben Foster's not playing those first couple of weeks, so I'm really concerned early on. Um, I think that they're going to be better, but they're still young. I mean, you've got uh, multiple number one draft picks over the last three years on the line, and DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead and Solomon Thomas. So. A lot of it you know, kind of depends on how quick those guys develop. And they haven't developed super quick, but they're getting there. You can really see it, especially with Buckner. You can really see it coming. I think he's going to have a big year. But I think it's going to take time. I think the offense is way ahead of the defense. Richard Sherman, if he's healthy, you know, who knows? I mean, he had uh, obviously the Achilles uh, injury, and then he had uh, some hamstring stuff during camp. So he's going to play this week, and I have no idea what to expect. I mean, he could look like Richard Sherman, or he could look like a guy that Marquise Goodwin was flying by in practice during in, in training camp. So uh, there's some unknown. Uh, Reuben Foster really, really hurts that defense. He is a, you know, end-to-end, side-to-side guy that, you know, he made a couple plays in the preseason. You're like, my God, this guy is good. So uh, I think that's going to hurt. I think playing Minnesota week one hurts. We'll get to that game in, in a few minutes here. But um, yeah, I think early on the season, there are going to be some shootouts. I think uh, the offense is really going to be clicking, although no McKinnon uh, definitely put the damper in that. Uh, I was looking forward to seeing him catch balls out of the backfield. But yeah, I think they're going to be a shootout team early on, which is weird because they haven't been that in a while. Yeah, I mean, I think even if it's playing from behind against the Vikings, that that might be uh, a path to some of those guys making value sort of unexpectedly. On the surface, it just looks like a matchup that you're not that excited about. You know, if you drafted Jimmy Garoppolo, it's one of the few weeks where you're definitely looking at your backup options closely because that Vikings defense was so good last year and they really didn't lose enough to where you'd look at them and say they're going to take a big step back. That should be a strength again for that team. Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and, uh, and start with that game? I had it up second, but we can start with that game. Uh, the Vikings, like you said, favored by 6.5, over under 46. You know, fascinating matchup, but... Uh, on paper, the Vikings might be the most talented team in the NFL. They uh, they added Kirk Cousins this year. Um, you know, it's going to be a step up from Case Keenum uh, by all accounts. 
Uh, versus a team that you know is up and coming, a lot of hype. Garoppolo's on the, on the front of magazines for <laughs> multitude of different reasons in the offseason. But uh, you know, an up and coming team against a team that really has Super Bowl aspirations this year. Uh, on the 49er side, you mentioned Garoppolo. You know, see 7100 on FanDuel. Uh, good game script in terms of a, a pretty good over under. They're going to be underdogs to be throwing. But like you said, against this defense, I just don't see a really a reason to use him in DFS on the road against the Vikings in Week One. There's going to be plenty of spots to use Jimmy. I just I just don't find this as one of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could make the argument for a contrarian play in tournaments, but I don't think you need to do that. I think you're going to be leaving some points on the table. Uh, if you had to play someone from this offense, Marquise Goodwin just doesn't have to do much to to make yep. value because he's got that that blazing speed. I mean. Marquise Goodwin running past Richard Sherman in practice would be more concerning if that were like 33-year-old Jordy Nelson in running past right. Richard Sherman. Like Marquise Goodwin runs by everybody. So uh, I think he's one of those guys that even against a, a good defense, all it takes is that one big play over the top, and suddenly Marquise Goodwin makes value at 6,400. But I think he's tournaments only for me. Yeah, I agree there. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk and a lot of usage of, of Alfred Morris and Matt Breida with uh, with McKinnon out. But you look at the Vikings. Viking defense only allowed 15.2 Fanduel points per game to running back. That was the absolute best in the NFL last season. So they were they were elite fantasy-wise against running backs uh, against last year. And the game script, too. You know, if the Niners get down, they're, they're six-and-a-half, seven-point dogs. If they get down, you're not handing the ball to Alfred Morris or Matt Breida. You're going to probably be throwing the ball a lot. Uh, they're really cheap. Uh, Morris is 5,500. Breida is 5,000. Not plays for me. I just uh, I just don't see the game script working. I don't see against this defense on the road. Uh, I'm going to be one that's going to be fading those guys even at a low price. No, I want them to struggle because I want to use them in future weeks at a lower price. Yeah, that, I like that strategy too. I, I really like Breed. I think he's going to be the guy that emerges. I know a lot of a lot of hype's been on Alfred Morris because he was drafted nowhere. A lot of free agent money going to him this week, but I think Breed is going to be the guy. They really really like him. He was uh, a little banged up in camp, but I think by about week three or four, he's going to take the reins there pretty good. Yeah, I'm with you there. He's kind of a McKinnon clone from a physical standpoint. What about uh, what about the Minnesota side? You know, obviously we talked about the fact that Niners defense could struggle early on without Reuben Foster. Uh, do you like the passing game here? Do you like the running game? Uh, what are you thinking on the Minnesota side? I think you get pretty good balance from both. I think they're all in play. They're not going to be you know, top three at their respective positions, but that might make them kind of appealing in a lot of circumstances. I mean, Cousins at 7,600, that's a very reasonable price on him. Delvin Cook coming off the ACL 7300 sounds like he's going in with pretty much no restrictions uh, so I think Cook could be kind of interesting as a slightly lower owned but good spot sort of play uh, below the top price running backs on FanDuel Thielen versus Diggs I guess the question is if you believe there's anything left in the tank for Richard Sherman which one is he more likely to take away my lean would be Diggs on the outside which means Thielen working out of the slot would be the better play of the two this week so I feel pretty good about Cook, feel pretty good about Thielen, and I don't have any reservations about Cousins. I just don't know if I'm going to have enough lineups to where I'm going to actually use him. You mentioned uh, Cook with the restrictions. Do you have any any vibe or feel about how much you think they actually use him? I mean, they do have Latavius Murray there, who they seem to like. Um, I just wonder, you know, you love a game script with a running back that's leading in the second half. I just wonder how much they'll actually lean on him if they do have a lead. Yeah, you kind of get the sense they'd cap him around 20 carries and, and maybe he gets yeah. closer to 15 so he becomes very TD dependent. Uh, but I think in, in tournaments, you can consider it. I think in cash games, that's probably where I'm not going to play Dalvin Cook this week. 
Yeah, I love Stephon Diggs. You mentioned him, obviously. Uh, one of my favorite uh, receivers in drafts. I just, I think you're right on the Thielen versus Diggs this week. I think that uh, we got to go in this with thinking that Sherman's still Sherman uh, until I see otherwise. I think Thielen out of the slot's probably a little bit better play. They're about the same price, 7400 for Diggs, 7600 for Thielen. I think I'm with the I'm with them on that one. Uh, anybody else in this game that uh, you like before we hit the next one? No, I'm kind of intrigued to watch George Kittle to see how healthy he is. He wasn't on the injury report for this week, but 5300 even, I think I'm going to look elsewhere at tight end. Yeah, I love Kittle too, but I looked at the Vikings. They were uh, they allowed 6.9 points uh, per game for in FanDuel to tight ends. They were the best in the NFL last year, and I kind of I kind of shied away after I saw that one as much as I do like Kittle's athleticism. Yeah, I don't blame you. So next game on the slate, uh, one we kind of hit on, we talked about James Conner. The Steelers headed to the uh, 2017 winless Cleveland Browns. Steelers are a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. That has come down since it's clear that Le'Veon Bell is not going to play. Over-under is 44-and-a-half. Before we get into this game, i got to ask you, uh, where do you draft Le'Veon Bell right now if you have a draft this weekend? I'm very concerned that he's going to take the 10 weeks that he can miss and then come <laughs> back without losing that year of service time. So... You know, with that, I, if, if that's my position, I think I'm at like a third, fourth, uh, probably like a fifth round pick. Like, I mean, so I have the uh, I have the eighth pick in the uh, NFFC prime time on Saturday. I'm not going to take him in the first round. So you'd pass in the second round then, too. I'd pass in the second. Maybe by then we'll know a little bit more. But we're just we're just guessing yeah. based on the messaging from his agent. And you just kind of get the sense that he's trying to save himself. Uh, going into free agency, reduce his risk of injury, and as long as he accrues that year of service time, then he gets to be a free agent at season's end. And the problem now is that James Conner is like a ninth-round pick, so if you're trying to handcuff Bell, earlier in the year you could do that and take Conner in the 16th, 17th round to be fine, but if you're using a, a ninth-round pick on him, suddenly two of your top nine picks are on Steelers running backs. You're guaranteed to not have both of those picks be good at the same time. It's, it becomes really tough to handcuff Bell now that Connor's price is elevated so much. And maybe you get middled by Jalen Samuels or something, too, where Samuels catches <laughs> passes or gets the goal line roll or who, who knows what. But uh, I think the, the interesting thing about James Connor, I mean, sure, if you drafted him late and, and you, maybe you handcuffed him to Bell, maybe you didn't. He gets flex consideration right away because it's a good offense it's in a good enough spot where you could see the touches being there and you could see him just being perfectly fine, like top 20, top 25 running back this week. But we don't know how good he really is. Like, that's a fair question. Right. And we also don't know if they would look at any one player on their depth chart and expect them to do all the things that Le'Veon Bell can do. I think that's going to say a lot about, you know, how they actually intended to use Bell. If they have to use two or three different guys to replace him, that all that does is make Bell's case better for why he's holding out, right? If it takes some combination of uh, Connor and Samuels and I think Steven Ridley's in the fold now too. If like all three of those oh, wow. guys are all there to kind of make up for not having Bell, that just makes Bell's case stronger. Yeah, but then you flip to the fan the price on FanDuel, he's 5000 bucks there. Kind of hard uh, hard in cash games to avoid that even in tournaments, you know, if he goes for 75 yards and a touchdown, you know, he's kind of a must play at 5000. So what do you do kind of in a game theory wise? You mentioned that earlier with tournaments, is he someone you fade in a tournament or just someone you kind of consider a free square and just kind of try and beat everybody else with the other eight slots? I think in a smaller tournament, like a single entry tournament, I'd look at him as more of a free square. But I think in the giant field GPPs, I think I would be willing to fade him in those situations because there are enough cheap pivots that you can do that. Or you can kind of build more of a, a mid-tier sort of lineup in those contests this week and have a lot of differentiation. So if you want to play Connor in the Sunday Million you're probably going to have to avoid chalk at most other turns in your lineup. Like that's just simple fact. You're just going to have to go that route. 
Uh, but in cash games especially, I, I have a really hard time walking away from Connor at that price. I mean, 5000 flat is a steal. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned uh, you mentioned chalk in the in the big tournaments. I mean, usually in football on a full slate, you don't really have to worry too much about that. Usually, it's spread out enough where even the chalky guys are you know eighteen to twenty percent. But got to think Connor's going to be over thirty percent this week, right? I think so. I mean, five K yeah. for a guy that might get twenty touches is is pretty rare. So it's just <laughs> kind of one of those week one anomalies. What about the uh, the Pittsburgh passing game? There's been much made about uh, Roethlisberger with his struggles on the road. He's fully priced week. He's at 8,000. Uh, last five starts in Cleveland, I think he has five touchdowns and five interceptions total. Really struggled on the road in Cleveland recently. Uh, and it's been like three years in a row where he's just kind of been not been the same guy on the road. Um, 8,000 bucks. Uh, it's hard for me to play him. I know that you know it's Cleveland and he can light them up, but uh, hasn't in the past when he's been on the road against them. Obviously, Antonio Brown's there. Juju Smith-Schuster, he got a lot of weapons. Uh, where do you fall on Ben this week? And is a good matchup on paper, but one that uh, you know when you look at the road stuff, uh, it gets a little scary. He is not in my plans at all right now, so I guess that would mean maybe there's some contrarian appeal. But I would look more towards that track record on the road, and, and even those struggles against Cleveland that you brought up. Uh, I, I don't see. I don't see a compelling reason to pay up for Ben this week. We don't have buys. We don't have a lot of quarterback injuries. All we really have is James Winston's suspension, bringing one back up into the fold there. So plenty of alternatives this week. No reason to start Ben in what's actually a surprisingly difficult spot for him. Yeah, I think that's a really good point on the quarterbacks, too. You only start one. We've got a even with, uh, you know, no Monday night games on the Sunday slate, no Thursday night game. You still have 13 games, 12 games. You don't play the Sunday night game, but you still have so many options of quarterback. That's 24, 26 guys right there. You don't have to force a quarterback. You're going to find one you like. Uh, what about Antonio Brown? He's killed the Browns the, uh, the last four games, uh, 125 yards a game or so in, in that stretch. He just uh, he eats against everybody. So it's not surprising, but fully priced 9000. Obviously, this week with some cheap plays, you can get him in. Are you going to be trying to force Brown in your lineup? Only in a big field tournament, because I think this will be a lightly owned Brown week. I think the pricey running backs are going to get uh, driven up a little bit. And I think people are going to steer away from Brown because of those Big Ben road splits. Uh, so that makes him kind of appealing. And anything Roethlisberger does, even if you scale down the production as much as you do on the road, most of that's still going to go through Antonio Brown. So uh, especially in a game where they're not going to have Le'Veon Bell, you have to think Antonio Brown gets a huge volume of targets. you got to pay to get it. Uh, but for me, it's big field GPP only, which is a little bit weird because normally Antonio Brown's one of those guys that you can right. build around pretty easily in cash. But I'm I'm not as excited about him in cash games this week. With the concerns about Ben and you know the fact that AB will get his, do you kind of just uh, wait for another week for Juju Smith-Schuster then? Yeah, I think this is a good week to to kind of look away from Juju. I mean, he's shown such amazing big playability so far that he could do that against anybody. But I just think it's a it's a, kind of a high risk high reward play at 7k on FanDuel anybody on the uh, Cleveland side that you're interested in you know my the, the one guy I looked at uh, was was Carlos Hyde clearly the number one lead back in, in preseason in practice with the ones in preseason games um, obviously no Ryan Shazier for Pittsburgh with his really rough injury last year uh, kind of their main guy in the middle they really struggled after he got hurt last year really nice price for Hyde at 5900 how much do you trust that he's actually the guy and they're not going to move that ball around in the backfield I think it's pretty much like a 60-30-10 carry split. Hyde, okay. Chubb, Johnson, and, and it could be even more. I mean, Johnson's 10% of carries, maybe actually zero, and Hyde might pick those up. So uh, at 5,900, I think there's definitely something there. I don't have him in any lineups so far, but I could end up with him in at least one because that's like a flex-worthy price at 5,900 as you're looking to round out the bottom part of your roster. By the way, I love that they got rid of the kicker and replaced that with a flex oh, yeah. fan duel. Uh, Much-needed change and 
very much appreciated that they did it. Uh, so yeah, Hyde's a good call, and Jarvis Landry. I mean, I like him even more on DraftKings, where you get a full point for every reception. But sixty six hundred yep. on Landry, I just worry he's going to be kind of chalky. But I'm okay with Landry as a chalk play in cash games, especially. I think he's one of the best receivers on the board this week. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good price. I, I do agree with you on the full PPR. I like him a little more on DraftKings. We get that full PPR, and they're gonna, you know, game script wise, they're they're four point underdogs. They uh, you expect them to be behind. They they are the Browns. Uh, so I like Landry too. Uh, I like him a little more in full PPR, like you said. What about Josh Gordon? I, I think it's hard to know what we're gonna get from him. He obviously came into camp late. Uh, he was out with the uh, the personal issues. Does have a little bit of hamstring issue too. So he's got that going. Uh, Sixty nine hundred. I was surprised he's higher priced than Landry. I think he's. I think he's probably not cheap enough for me to take a flyer on him this week. Yeah, I'm not doing it. Um, I think if you did, it's tournaments only. But it, limited packages, new offensive coordinator, all the missed time, you add it all up, and it, it just seems like it's high risk, high reward. Not totally unlike Juju Smith-Schuster, just different circumstances for where the risk actually comes from in this matchup. So uh, not unplayable, but not somebody I'm seeking out at all for those reasons. Last guy in this game, uh, if they get behind, they're throwing the second half. Uh, what about David Njoku at 5,300? He seems pretty active and like a weapon for them this preseason. Yeah, and I think he's probably a tournament-only play for me early in the season until we get a sense for how much they're going to involve Gordon and how much they're going to use Antonio Callaway, who's going to start opposite Jarvis Landry in this game. Uh, but I think Njoku's one of those guys that are around the red zone, especially that target volume is going to tick up just a little bit. So at 5,300, I think you could definitely use him in tournaments if you're going away from Gronk and, and Kelsey at the top. Did you uh, did you watch Hard Knocks at all this offseason? No, you know what? I'm I believe it or not, I don't have an HBO subscription, and I'm sure ah. there's people out there that would be happy to share theirs and, and all that. But um, <laughs> it's like Pandora's box for me. Like if I if I get that, like there's to me, I already feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. If I start watching HBO shows, I'm going to be just a total carcass. I'm not going to be around to do any sort of writing or podcasting at all because I'll be glued to a tablet or a big TV somewhere. I just thought it was funny. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Callaway. He uh, he lied about uh, getting pulled over to the team, and as his punishment, they made him play every single snap on offense of the first preseason game. It was pretty funny. He was dying out there. <laughs> I didn't realize that was that was pure punishment for him, but uh, that's an interesting punishment. I think it says enough about the preseason that playing in the games is used as a punishment. Yeah, that that's that gives you an idea. Like if if you're a veteran player and you're out there, you gotta you gotta be so so furious Callaway obviously deserved it given the circumstances yeah so moving on uh, the next game we have the Bengals at the Colts uh, Andrew Luck's return after a, a year off with injury uh, starting on the Cincinnati side kind of interesting you know you look at the Colts and uh, they gave up a lot of big plays last year and they have not done much to improve their D if anything They've done stuff to you know make their de- make their defense worse. They're super young in the secondary. Um, that being said, do you like any of the Bengals this week? Uh, high over under 48, 48 and a half. Uh, Indianapolis favored by three. Could be some fireworks in this game between two teams that you don't really uh, think fireworks when you think about them. Yeah, I think it's kind of weird that the Bengals are actually underdogs here. I think they're a better team than the Colts. I mean, it, being in Indy, I guess that's where the the two and a half or three you're going to find on the Colts is coming from. But I'm looking at Dalton and A.J. Green and thinking, I want to pair those two guys. Like I want to make that a tournament combo, and I think it's going to be low-owned, too. I think when people are looking at quarterbacks, the usual suspects are going to pop up. Expensive guys like Breeze and Brady, because the Saints and Patriots are going to score as much as they usually do. Uh, maybe Jared Goff, because the Rams come up high in, in the projected totals. And then I think Rivers and Patrick Mahomes in that potential shootout are going to be pretty high-owned. So I think Andy Dalton, for tournaments especially, is going to be low-owned. People had him buried on rankings in season long because he was horrible last year 
everything went wrong. They had injuries on the offensive line, which they have fixed. They added Cordy Glenn, added Billy Price. Uh, they've you know got Mixon with another year of experience in the running game. Perhaps that helps a little bit. AJ Green's healthy though, and they kept their offensive coordinator, who they you know swapped in in like week three of last season kept him through the offseason as well so i think that sort of continuity gets this team back from being one that was among the league's uh, worst uh, in terms of plays run like they just couldn't sustain drives at all last year the efficiency was horrible i think they bounce back and are at least kind of like a league average or close to league average sort of offense if they're that good and they're playing a below average defense indoors like that that's a great setup so i'm actually pretty excited about the Bengals this week which is something i rarely said last year yeah, and the nice thing with that is they priced up AJ Green at eighty four hundred. So he's you know he's a hundred more than Julio. He's more than Devontae Adams. He's a little bit less than Thomas and Hopkins. So he's in that range where you're looking for your stud receiver and you got that money left. Uh, you know Green's probably not the guy you're, that you're you're drawn to right away. I love that when you get those elite players that that the way it works out, they just kind of get priced just the right way. Ownership comes down. Yep. That's the week they go off. It can be huge for you. Because you can almost see the see the gears turning in someone's head when they see Adrian at eighty four hundred, they see Hopkins at eighty eight hundred. It's like it's only four hundred more to go to Hopkins. I've been drafting him, you know, before Green all year. You can kind of see how that works in week one. Yeah, and I think you'll have a lot of people going after like Keenan Allen at eight thousand, stacking him with Rivers yep. as one of the default stacks for four hundred less. So I just think there's there's so many ways to talk yourself out of AJ Green in both directions price wise that AJ Green will probably end up lighter owned than he should be. What about uh, what about Joe Mixon? They uh, when he was healthy at the end of last year, they really started to feed him a little bit. He had uh, he had three games where he had over 18 carries when he was healthy, kind of in the second half of the season. Did pretty well when he finally got the time. Uh, he's only 6900 on FanDuel. I find him an interesting price in a game that I think Cincinnati's actually be winning. I know they're the underdogs, but I agree with you. I th- I thought that line was a little bit weird. I think Cincinnati wins this game. I think Indianapolis' defense is really going to struggle all year. Um, I kind of like Mixon under 7K. Yeah, no hesitation for me with Mixon. If I had three or four different lineups, you know, maybe one of them is a, a Dalton Green combo. One has Mixon at one of the two running back spots. Um, I'm not going to have him everywhere, but I think this is a, a good spot for him. I'm, I've got him in a couple of leagues that just kind of broke that way where. Coming back through uh, late in round two, he was the best back remaining uh, and a couple of pretty big ones, too. So I've got a lot already hinging on Mixon this season. Sometimes that happens to me where I'm looking at season-long exposure, (laughs) and I don't want to increase exposure in DFS when it could already ruin me in in a couple season-long leagues early on. But in this case, I think the matchup's soft enough where I wouldn't be worried about that with Joe Mixon. Yeah, I tend to do that the first uh, two or three weeks of the season, too, and then I realize that it's not a good thing to do, and I, I kind of get away from it. But the first couple of weeks, it's hard. You've been drafting these guys. You're excited, and it's hard to hard to uh, you know put all your eggs in that basket. Absolutely. Anybody on the indie side of the ball in the running back situation that you're even remotely interested in? Marlon Mack was back at practice today, kind of muddles that situation a little bit, too. Jordan Wilkins apparently is going to start. Naheem Hines has kind of been buried on the depth chart a little bit. Are you looking at Indianapolis running backs for the price at all? No, even though the discount is nice and it's not really a matchup I would fear, I think Mac sort of trending towards being healthy, at least as of Thursday night, just makes it an easy situation to avoid. Could be an ugly three-man timeshare. Any uh, any Andrew Luck love? I mean, it's hard to uh, it's hard to throw him in as your one quarterback having missed a year, and we don't really know what he can do in terms of throwing the deep ball. He has you know kind of threw a lot of short passes in the preseason when he did play. Um, I'm not sure I've seen enough to trust him in a, in a in a full slate at quarterback quite yet. No, I don't think I'd play Luck. I mean, you look at Ty Hilton; he's only 7,200, and he can do a lot after the yeah. catch. So Hilton's pretty tempting, but even with that, I think Luck's a guy that I'm generally not going to be using this week. 
Any of the uh, indie tight ends you're interested in? Uh, Jack Doyle was huge against the Bengals last year. Twelve catches for a buck twenty-one and a touchdown. Uh, but now he has Eric Ebron back there too. I just I'm not sure how that split's going to really work. I wonder if it, could it could it work at all like the Fleener Allen split a few years ago? Like could they somehow prop up two tight ends since the receiver depth chart behind Ty Hilton is ugly. Ryan Grant, Chester Rogers, like I'm not interested in those guys. Like it, that that to me is kind of that hint that maybe both tight ends are involved. It's going to be madness though from a, a DFS and a season long per, uh, perspective to kind of figure out which of those guys in any particular week is going to be better than the other. They're affordable. I don't like it though. I'm, I'm walking away from both Doyle and Ebron right now. Yeah, I am too. I think I agree with you. T.Y. Hilton's kind of the only guy that I had circled in on the Indianapolis side of the ball that I'm probably going to be considering. I think at 7,200 has a lot of tournament upside. He can he can make a big play at any time. He could take a slant and make a big play out of it. So he's the one guy in this offense I think is explosive enough. We'll get enough targets. He's going to be he's going to throw in the ball all day long. He's the one guy at price where he is that I'm really interested in. Are you taking the under on this game? Like if you were going to bet the over under, I, th- I saw 48 as the number. I mean that puts the Colts as favorites at like 25 and change for their implied total that just seems kind of high but i think you and i are agreeing that the bengals are actually the better team here like maybe you just flip the result maybe it's 25 you know 22 bengals in theory but do do you see this game actually getting up to that number i don't i don't think that indy's gonna score quite enough for that i uh I take the under. My only concern with the under is I, I could see a way where Cincinnati puts up 20 to 31 points. And that's going to be really hard to go under then. But if I had to bet it, I'd go under. But uh, my concern would be that Cincinnati breaks out pretty good. Yeah, I think they, they've definitely got the talent to do it. And uh, if the offensive line play is improved as expected, then I think we'll see it right away. Uh, next up is a game that's uh, opposite over-under. Over-under is only 40. Uh, Buffalo at Baltimore. Probably a game we can get through pretty quick from a DFS perspective. The Ravens are favored by 7.5. Um, I think my favorite play in this game is probably the Baltimore defense. Yeah, I think Baltimore's defense will be the highest-owned defense of the week. And yep. I don't think I have a strong case for fading it. <laughs> I think it's it's not just Nathan Peterman throwing five picks and a half. It's that the Bills' offensive <laughs> line is bad, and they're going to be sack-prone. Yep. And the Ravens' D is not bad. And the Ravens' D, I think, will play well at home throughout this season. So... This is a really good setup for them. Uh, I have no hesitation doing that. I think the only other player that I'm kind of interested in in this game is Alex Collins at 6,700. Uh, if the game script were to go awry, which it shouldn't, you know he still does catch passes out of the backfield, but I think they're going to have a lead. I think they're going to give him plenty of work. Uh, they didn't really do much to change that depth chart at all in the offseason. So I think Collins is the guy, and at 6,700, he's very fairly priced. I have Collins uh, bolded, flashing, and in red in my in my uh, sheet here. I'm looking at uh, that I was prepping for when I before I talked to you. I I love Collins this week. He uh, he averaged a lot of targets down this or touches down the stretch last year. Uh, they really started to go to him as their bell cow guy. He still is their bell cow guy now. Nothing. Uh, I mean, the Buffalo defense will be okay, but uh, I think the game script is going to work really well for Collins. Uh, they were the worst rush defense last year, actually, in, in, against uh, running backs with Fanduel points. They were twenty-five point three Fanduel points per game. A lot of that, and they were a pretty good team last year. They actually they made the playoffs, right? They did. Yeah, uh, but they they were really bad against the rush. I really like uh, I really like Collins this week. Probably my favorite running back uh, under about seventy-five hundred. Yeah, a really easy play. I think you can play him in cash and GPP, yeah. though, too. I think he, he fits well in, in both types of lineup. I'm a, I'm a full pass on anything to do with the Buffalo offense. Uh, do you agree there? Are you, are you on LaShawn McCoy at 7,300 at all, or just kind of pass on this? I think McCoy will get plenty of work. I just don't think they're going to find a lot of touches in the red zone for him because they're not going to spend much time there. So I think he's a pass this week. 
talked about the uh, the indie uh, receiver depth chart looking ugly. The Buffalo one doesn't look much better. No, it doesn't. I was really surprised Corey Coleman didn't make that team. I don't know if it was just the result of getting there late. There were some rumblings that it was an attitude or, or focus-related problem. And I guess I don't think Corey Coleman has signed with anybody since the Bills let him go. So perhaps those are actual real concerns that other teams have as well. Yeah, I, I agree there. So we can uh, we can go on to the uh, to the next game. Jacksonville headed to New York to face the Giants. Uh, Jacksonville, obviously one of the best stories in the NFL last year, made it deep into the playoffs. Uh, their defense really took off. Um, they are favored by three points on the road, over under a 43 and a half. Uh, on the Jacksonville offensive side first, uh, the Giants allowed the most FanDuel points last year to quarterbacks, 19.4 uh, points per game. Blake Bortles finished the, finished last year really well, 6,600. Are you even considering going to Blake right now? It's hard for me to do it with Dalton at, the, at almost the same price, but uh, any Bortles love for you? No, it's kind of like we talked about earlier. Just, there's just not enough reason to do it this particular week. I think on a smaller slate with more injuries or something, if this matchup had come up, then it would have been interesting. I'm curious to see if the Giants' defense has improved a little or a lot from where it was last year. I think Marquise Lee not being there does hurt that passing game a bit. Uh, Keelan Cole is so cheap that I could see him <laughs> yeah. being useful in, in pretty much all formats. Kind of comes to the Connor level at wide receiver in some ways. 4,500 for a guy that probably leads this team in targets this week is just an absolute steal. So not sure I'd use Cole and Connor in the same lineup, but I think you could definitely use Cole in a similar sort of fashion. Um, do you like anyone else that catches passes there? I mean, I think everybody likes Leonard Fournette just fine. Uh, I have no hesitation about using him for 8K. He's one of the you know better running backs on the board, and he's priced a little cheaper than some of the other elite options below Kamara, Johnson, Zeke, Melvin Gordon by 100 bucks. Um, do you like any of their pass catchers though, besides Keelan Cole? Yeah, I last year I liked uh, D.D. Westbrook a lot, but he just didn't quite uh, quite do it for me. I, I owned him in a bunch of spots. He's fifty three hundred, but I just I think Cole at forty five hundred's got to be the the highest priced or high, highest owned wide receiver uh, this week. You know, obviously the the pricing came out before Marquise Lee got hurt, so that impacted a lot there. I mean, if you uh, if you want to punt at wide receiver price wise, uh, Cole's your guy at forty five hundred. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to go ultra cheap and and put Bortles with two of his receivers and hope that he just hits them <laughs> for a combined three TDs, you could make one of the cheapest stacks ever. Yeah, you could go with a lot. You could go with a lot of expensive running backs at that point, even at the flex. But might be a little bit too much for me on the on the Jacksonville uh, pass de- or pass offense. Uh, you like the Jacksonville defense at all this week? They were obviously the big story last year. They uh, they they kept scoring huge points in Fanduel. Do you like them all at all against Eli this week? You know, I, I do because I think everyone's going to be on the Ravens, and for a hundred bucks yep. less, you might get a defense with just as much upside uh, that that gets one third or one quarter the ownership rate. So uh, I do think there's a, a case to be made for the Jags. I think Eli Manning still has plenty of flaws. Getting Beckham back healthy certainly masks some of those flaws, and having a weapon like Saquon Barkley, he can dump the ball off to. They can run the ball a lot more. That absolutely helps. But I don't think I look at the Giants even with those improvements and say, well, I'm not going to use an elite defense like Jacksonville this week because they're facing the Giants. I think the, the Giants turn out to be kind of a league average sort of offense, one that would be better if Eli Manning weren't turning the ball over. And I think Eli's still going to have those mistakes. I think that's just part of who he is at this point in his career. Yeah, I mean, he even had those mistakes when he was at the peak of his career. But uh, so with the Jacksonville defense, obviously really good. New York going in there. Are you messing with anybody on this uh, Giants offense? Is there anybody that you uh, want to get in there a little sneaky against a uh, against a tough matchup on paper? Uh, Beckham's the sixth most expensive receiver, so he's a little cheaper than Allen. He's seven six hundred less than AJ Green. 
I don't think I want to use him. Jalen Ramsey did suffer an, an ankle injury in practice today. At least he was limited in practice because of it. So we'll see if that turns into anything between now and, and lock on Sunday. But um, as tempting as that price is on Beckham, I'm probably not going to have enough lineups to play him. And then I'm looking at Saquon Barkley for 7,600 going up against the Jags. I could see it in tournaments, but I am my, I'm myself, I'm not doing it. The only one that I think is kind of sneaky is Sterling Shepard at 6,000. Uh, playing out of the slot, he should avoid uh, both Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye uh, for much of the game. He could be the one guy. If, if, the, uh, if the Jags really take away Beckham, if they really blanket Beckham, uh, they're going to they're gonna look at Evan Ingram too. They're going to try and take him away in the middle of the field. I think that Shepard coming out of the slot could be a guy that catches you know six, seven balls, especially on DraftKings with a PPR element to it, a full point PPR element to it. Uh, if I were to play anybody in this offense, I think it would be Sterling Shepard kind of a sneaky low percent against the Jaguars. Yeah, I think at 4,500 on DraftKings, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly where I'd want to use him. Yeah, I think I agree there. I had not looked at his DraftKings price, but uh, yeah, 4,500, I will have him in as my third receiver in some spots for sure. Yeah, that might draw some some chalk flies, though, too, at that price. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that the Jacksonville uh, Jacksonville ness of it takes that away. But uh, at that price, he, you know, he's been everybody's been drafting all offseason. He's been a pretty popular guy in drafts. A lot of people like him. So I I guess you could be right. He could sneak into there. But I'm hoping the Jaguars uh, defense and secondary maybe keeps him off people's minds. Shepard's one of those guys. I didn't end up with him in any season long leagues yet. I mean, you and I are in the the pentathlon auction for that's going to happen sometime next week. We'll start up in week two. Uh, so maybe that's the rumor. Him there. That's the the rumor is we're going to find some time <laughs> to do that auction. But Sterling Shepard's one of those guys that I, I didn't seek him out. I didn't avoid him. I just ended up with zero shares so far. And it's always kind of weird when you have players like that that you don't have a strong reason for avoiding. Yeah, I like him a lot in the NFFC where it's full point PPR. I think he's a PPR guy to be coming out of the slot. I think he's going to kind of be Eli's check down guy when when someone when some stud is on Beckham or they're doubling Beckham. Uh, I really like Sterling Shepard. I think he's really good. Uh, he he was he had a lot of big games when Beckham was out last year. You know, a lot of times where he had a lot of targets. And uh, you know, with full point PPR, I'm look, kind of looking for targets more than anything else. So with that belief in Shepard, did you kind of stay away from Evan Ingram this draft season? Uh, I took him in one spot only because he kind of lasted longer than he usually does. Um, I, I am staying away from him. At, at his ADP, I was staying away from him just because most of his damage was done when Shepard uh, was banged up. When Beckham was definitely banged up, he was out for most of the uh, all the second half of the season when Ingram kind of did his damage. I just think his target share is going down. I think everybody loves him coming off the hype rookie season. I, I think he's good. I think he's talented. I like I, I like him a lot. But I just think in this offense, the way fantasy works, you need targets. And I think his target share is going to go down uh, as long as those two receivers are healthy. Yeah, I definitely think that makes sense. Uh, moving on to the next game, interesting game, um, Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Uh, biggest spread of the of the week, uh, probably a popular survivor pick for a lot of people. Saints are favored by 9.5, over-unders 49.5, big over-under in this game. Uh, obviously, the big news on Tampa Bay is that Jameis Winston is suspended for the first three games, so Ryan Fitzpatrick will be taking the snaps. Uh, that probably keeps me away from uh, wide receivers on Tampa Bay. Mike Evans really struggled last year with Marcus Lattimore. He had 68 yards total in the two matchups. But the guy that I'm looking at, uh, Peyton Barber, 5,600. You mentioned him earlier as someone that, uh, you know, the pricing was out early. We thought we thought Rojo was going to be the running back there. It's going to be Peyton Barber. He's going to be getting the, uh, the, the, what, the running back one snaps there. Uh, you like him at 5,600? Yeah, he's okay because I think even if the Saints are blowing out the Bucks, he's probably out there in pass catching situations. Although, right. is Jacquez Rogers a threat at any point? Like, do you see that as a a concern? Did we just go back to like 2013? 
Dirk Cutter's stuck in that in 2013 anyway. <laughs> I mean, like I just that's true. I hope I hope that I want to I want to believe that Peyton Barber's that guy. I trust it even more on DraftKings where he's only 4100. I think he's a great flex uh, over there. FanDuel, I'm a little more hesitant to buy in, but I just think the one thing we really haven't even brought up at all this draft season is that Jacquez Rogers is still there, and Dirk Cutter seems to really like Jacquez Rogers. So uh, if he doesn't believe that Peyton Barber can take the workhorse role, Rogers on passing downs is something that we could see a little bit of. Uh, as I was doing uh, doing drafts and prepping and stuff, I looked at Peyton Barber at the end of last year. I was a little surprised by how good he was. Last five weeks, he had 102 yards, 58, 53, 51, 71. Only one of those weeks, he had over 20 carries. He had a 12 for 58, a 13 for 53. He was a lot more efficient than I remembered him being when I looked back at, uh, at the end of last year. Yeah, he's he's a weird player because I still don't expect him to keep the job all year. But the way they have been talking about Ronald Jones throughout the preseason and camp is troubling like they seem very disappointed in the player they drafted to the point where the price they paid might not actually dictate the amount of playing time that we thought it would a month ago it might it might be a late season push into a timeshare as opposed to overtaking barber completely for the job so that's a messy situation it seems like a a team that is falling apart where everyone's going to get fired and they're going to blow it all up in the offseason I'm not sure I can remember a rookie running back that got you know fairly highly drafted who had more negative press on him, both from the press and the team, than, than Ronald Jones. I can't think of one off the top of my head. If anybody can, tweet <laughs> at me, at Derek Van Riper. I, I just, especially one where it, it was this much negativity, and it all turned out to be fine like six weeks later or eight weeks later. What about uh, what about the Saints' offense? I think that Alvin Kamara with uh, with Mark Ingram is going to be popular. He's eighty seven hundred. Obviously, no Ingram helps his touches a lot. Uh, they never they didn't really use him heavy in the run game last year. He would get his uh, his spots and usually break big big plays when he did or score touchdowns. But they've said they don't want to overwork him. How much do you think that they go with Kamara as as a bell cow this week? I think he gets twenty touches and maybe it's you know fourteen to sixteen carries, four to six catches, some some split that gets him to twenty. What I don't know is how much they're going to run Mike Gillisley. I mean, how up to speed is he really in that <laughs> offense? Are they going yep. to have a few packages designed for him? Uh, it's something that our buddy Mario Puig has talked a lot about is that a lot of Gillisley's success going back to Florida and during his time in, in Buffalo was running out of the shotgun. So maybe the Saints just have some packages where they run him like that and he gets six or eight carries. But I don't. I don't think Gillisley in week one is a major threat to Kamara, but I do wonder if, if he looks good in limited opportunities, if they add a little more for him the next few weeks during Ingram's suspension, and he ends up being that limiting factor. But I think I'm more optimistic about Kamara in week one than I will be in the next couple of weeks if Gillisley looks good in his limited chances. Because I do believe them that they don't want to overwork him. Like They see the importance of Kamara. They see what he can do as just a mismatched nightmare for opposing defenses. And I think they can replicate a lot of the things they did with him a year ago. The only thing I worry about with him overall is that his efficiency numbers were just off the charts good. Like yep. the, the TD efficiency and the yardage efficiency per carry and per catch were just remarkable, like unsustainable in every way, it seems. So he has to get enough of a volume increase to offset the inevitable regression that he's facing. Like it's It'd be impossible for Kamara to do that again over a full season. So... I like him this week. I think the game script is fine. I mean, maybe if they get a huge lead, they back off him just because why expose him to the risk? But if it turns right. into a shootout where the Bucks can just keep it within 7-10, to 10, he's going to get his. 
What about the uh, what about the Saints passing game? You mentioned possibility of a shootout, high over under. Uh, are you on a Breeze Michael Thomas stack this week at all? I am. It's it's just pricey. I mean, it, it generally yeah. is. But if you're throwing a Connor in there, or you're throwing a uh, one of the other cheap options, you know, Sterling Shepard on, on some sites like we just talked about, that'll offset it quite a bit. So I, I think it can definitely be done. And uh, I generally am not really on Cameron Meredith right now. I think they brought him along pretty slowly coming off the knee injury this preseason. So I'm looking away from him, probably looking away from Ted Ginn, and really just looking at Thomas as the main option this week and kind of taking the wait-and-see approach with the secondary options in that passing game. How are you feeling on uh, Drew Brees' season? Weird, weird year last year where they went heavy run game. He had more than two touchdowns in one game last year, which is almost impossible in a New Orleans Drew Brees-led offense. Uh, how do you feel about him in terms of kind of how they manage their offense uh, this season? You know, I think Ingram's suspension makes me feel a little better about Breeze early on because it's it's one less running option. Like they ran it so well last year that there was no reason to go back to their old ways. And part of it, too, I think a season ago is that the defense was a lot better than people expected. So they weren't constantly playing from behind. They weren't in quite as many shootouts. Uh, so I think Breeze bounces back a little bit. I mean, peak Breeze at, at his age, I don't think we can expect that sort of return, but I think he's probably a consistent top six, top eight quarterback in most matchups, especially at home. You mentioned shootouts. Uh, our next game, huge shootout. Uh, Over-under, highest on the board, 51. It's Houston at New England. The Patriots are favored by six and a half. This game features the return of Deshaun Watson, who was electric when he played last year. Uh, what do you think about Watson? Fully priced at 8200. We're getting no uh, no injury discount there. Uh, he had you know he had the highest rate of throws over 15 yards last year in the NFL. They threw deep. He hit Will Fuller a lot. He hit DeAndre Hopkins a lot. Really good game script. Uh, you know, high over under with them as an underdog. Always love that because they should be throwing a lot in the second half. My only question on Watson is how much will he run? That's obviously a big boost to his value. Do you think he's fully, fully healthy and kind of ready to take off out of the pocket? Uh, it's a huge question. I, I'm not expecting yeah. him to be exactly himself. I mean, he went through this before at Clemson. He came back, and he played at a high level right away. So I think that sort of raises the bar maybe unfairly on Watson. I think New England, uh, you know, having – I don't know. Having having seen it already, I think that kind of changes things a little bit too. Like they may have a better game plan for Deshaun Watson this time around. So I think that's kind of interesting too, as as a wrinkle goes. Like they they may have some kind of plan to more effectively contain him after what happened last season in that matchup. I'm not paying the freight on Watson. I'm not going to advise people not to do it. Uh, I just think I, I'd rather spend elsewhere. Uh, Eighty two hundred is is actually a pretty fair price if you think that game's going to hit that total, but. Um, I, I want to see it first before I commit. Where are you on uh, DeAndre Hopkins this week? 8,800, fully priced, obviously, also, as he often is. You know, when you look at uh, the other receivers in that range, is he someone that uh, you're thinking to go to, or you're more of a Michael Thomas, Antonio Brown, A.J. Green this week? I'd go away. I'd go to, to A.J. Green, especially for the reasons we talked about earlier. I just think Green's going right. to fly a little bit under the radar. I think people are going to look at that over-under game total for this game and try to figure out the, the distribution of targets. We know with Hopkins, he's getting the bulk of what Deshaun Watson does, but I think he's an easy avoid for me. I wouldn't say it's like a hard fade because I, I think he'll be productive, but I just think you can get a little better bang for your buck among top receivers elsewhere. So on the uh, New England side of the ball, it's uh, it's a little confusing. Their uh, their receivers are kind of messy right now with uh, with Julian Edelman suspended. You know, Philip Dorsett's probably their number two right now. I don't know if their th- number three is Cordero Patterson or Chad Hansen or Matthew Slater, one of those guys. Uh, they they they've cut some guys too, and it's 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 a tough kind of route tree to figure out. Do you just kind of go with Tom Brady and assume he'll figure it out? 
I think you look at Chris Hogan for 6700 and you have to ask yourself a similar play fade question you do with James Conner. It's like that discount is huge. You expect him to take on oh, yeah. a large role. Um, I, I would err on the side of playing him, especially in cash games, maybe tournaments. Again, those big field GPPs, you can justify looking elsewhere. But Hogan should be the guy. He should be very productive. You know, they got a healthy Gronk right now. So I think if you're trying to distribute Brady's targets, you're expecting like half of them to go to Gronk and Hogan. Where do the other half go? I mean, is it a heavy dose of, of James White early on in the season? Do we see Philip Dorsett running some of those downfield routes? That's the tricky part is just figuring out maybe Rex Burkhead gets some interesting one-on-one matchups, run some routes out of the slot. Uh, but I, I think the the main pieces I want for the, the Patriots this week, Gronk, I'm willing to pay up for. I have no problem with that at 7900 And Hogan as just a huge bargain, a, a guy that should cost probably – closer to 8k if, when you think about usage and, and upside uh, getting him at 6700 feels like a steal with someone like gronk do you have a usual strategy at tight end do you usually go one of the top you know we have a pretty set top three uh you know number one tier this year at tight end do you usually try and uh try and be better than the field at tight end do you try and save money there or is it more of a week by week thing to you most weeks i do tend to play one of gronk kelsey or Ertz. like that was just something that was working really well for me last year uh, I, I feel like they tend to be more matchup proof in, in most cases because those guys are just freaks. That's why they're so productive in the first yep. place. So uh, if it happens to be a case where buys and injuries knock us down to like one of those big three and then ownership soars a little bit, that's when I might start looking for some discounted options. But I, I like Gronk quite a bit this week. Yeah, it's hard to uh, hard not like Gronk with Edelman out. It's just the, the targets is going to be just gonna be so big. What about Brady A600? We talked about playing Hogan and Gronk. Do you do you pair them together? You know, because Hogan's so cheap, I think you could tie Hogan with Brady, and and that would that would work. I mean, it's cheaper than going with Breeze and Michael Thomas, and I don't think the expected production is all that different. So I think that's a more viable stack than the Saints stack. But at the same time, I'm still looking more to those mid-tier guys. We'll talk about one in a few minutes that I think everybody likes. Uh, I'm trying to save a little bit at quarterback this week so I can pay up at running back. Is there anybody in the New England backfield that you're remotely considering playing for kind of a low percentage, uh, this is the week that Belichick rides them kind of thing? Not on FanDuel. I think the prices are all like close enough to mid-tier, and only getting a yeah. half-point PPR kind of takes away some of the appeal of a guy like James White. Uh, if you go over to DraftKings, then you start to talk yourself into it in tournaments because Burkhead's 4,200, White's 4,000, and Jeremy Hill's only 3,300. So at least from a tournament <laughs> perspective... I think all three of those guys become interesting. Sonny Michel is kind of a wild card. He's questionable as of right now because he was limited to practice for the second straight day on Thursday. I have no idea if they're going to play him. Like, if I have, I have no good guess. I, I feel like they're not going to play him, but that's just me guessing like an idiot right now on Sonny Michel. Yeah, I mean, last year, Gillisley had a couple touchdowns in the first game, then went away. But I can't believe we're back to even mentioning Jeremy Hill out loud. I can't believe he made the team, but that he made the team suggests they might actually like him. <laughs> yeah, so it's odd there. I think I'm a I'm a full stay away there. I usually am a full stay away from the New England backs anyway. They, they they tend to be good over the course of the season, but it's really hard to time them week by week. Yeah, I, I always look at them as like tournament options when the price gets really low. So uh, if I'm looking at those two guys, James White at four thousand, I'm more confident in his role than Hills right now with Burkhead having been banged up throughout the preseason. That makes me want to stay away from him. So if I'm playing one, it's James White on DraftKings as a flex. Who leads that team and carries this week is the real tough question. I'm going to say it's Hill, but I think it's like three different guys get to carry the ball. So it's, yeah. it'd be like a 10-8-5 thing or 
eight seven six. Like it could just be a total. Right. A total. Because they, I mean, they love <laughs> they love they love Burkhead and White out of the backfield, but there, there's not really a guy to hand the ball off to unless you think Jeremy Hill might be that guy. Yeah, and I I mean I was throwing the late dart on Jeremy Hill over the last week or so because we, we saw what Legarrette Blunt did in this offense two years ago, and Hill's smaller than Legarrette Blunt, but he's also a little quicker, so they may have some designs on making him a 200 carry guy that we just don't know about like that that wouldn't surprise me that much but i think in that scenario that probably means sunny michelle's knee is more of a problem than it appears to be right now i think if sunny michelle gets back to full health he's going to be a guy that can do a little bit of everything and he can lead this team in carries over the course of the season even if he gets that late start they may just they may just spread it out and throw 47 times too they, they, yeah, they might, and that's where the James White PPR confidence comes in, at least for yeah, the short term. Absolutely. So, moving on to the next game, we have a, a kind of a weird game: Tennessee at Miami, really close spread. Hard to figure out what's going to happen here. I had trouble when we were we're at, we're actually in a picks pool together. We had to pick the games against the spread that, that we're in with that your, with your pentathlon contest you set up. Tennessee's favored by a point and a half, over under a forty five. You know, Tennessee, the big question is, you know, how much different is this new offense? Under uh, under office coordinator Matt LaFleur, who was the office coordinator for the Rams last year, obviously, uh, they were really good. Then he was with the Falcons a couple years before that. You know, uh, what effect will that have? How long will it take him to really get going with this offense? You'd like to hope that that's a training campus for, but it usually takes a couple of games for these new offenses to really get rolling. Uh, whatever it's going to be, it's be better than whatever Mike Malarkey did last year. So are you in on this offense this week, or do you want to see them a couple of weeks and kind of see what you've got first? So I want to see them, but I think this is a matchup that you have a hard time completely avoiding. And I think yep. the guy that I like the most this week is actually Derek Henry, who's been Nothing but a, a faller relative to previous expectations. With Lewis's arrival, looking at the ADPs, like as running backs kept inching up boards, Henry was one of those guys that kind of stayed put, even slid a little bit at times. I think that game's close enough where he's going to get plenty of carries. I think they're both going to get lots of work, both he and Deion Lewis in this particular game. And I think the probability for a TD is actually pretty high as well. Titans are at least top half in terms of their implied total this week. So I think they're going to be just fine running on the Dolphins, and the price everywhere is very fair. Henry's 6800 That might actually steer some people away on FanDuel because he doesn't catch many passes, but I do like him as a FanDuel option, a little less so on DraftKings where you're giving up a lot for a guy that doesn't catch a pass. That's a, that's a pretty good play. That's probably the first guy that you mentioned that I didn't really uh, have a close look at that uh, that I really like as a play. I think he could be really interesting, and I think at 6,800, I, I think I agree with you. I think that's high enough where he won't be very highly owned. Yeah, it tilts more to GPPs than cash because the Lewis factor and the uncertainty with the new offensive coordinator and Matt LaFleur, like, that's legit. But I just think for, for tournament backs that are under 7K, Derrick Henry is near the top of my list this week. What about uh, Corey Davis? Been a popular guy in drafts. He's only 6,400 this week. Uh, are you on him at all? No, I'm not actually, and and it's kind of counterproductive to the point I just made about believing the Titans' offense as a whole. I think the thing that scares me about Corey Davis is that it looks like Delaney Walker is going to play. It looks like Rashard Matthews is going to play. I just think the the target situation for Tennessee might be like the carry situation for New England. You know, they're gonna they're gonna move the ball through the air. Marcus Mariota could improve this year, but my read on how exactly they're going to do it early in the season is so bad that I don't feel confident investing in any of those guys, even though Davis is very affordable at 6400 Yeah, I agree with you on the receivers. I do like Delaney Walker this week at 6100 If I'm not going with one of the top guys, I think I'm dropping down Delaney. Looks like he'll be ready to go health-wise. He's going to play uh, by all accounts, by all the reports. Uh, Miami allowed 13.2 points per game in Fandle to tight ends. They were actually the worst in the NFL last year. Never know how that carries over, but you know the first couple of weeks, you kind of have to go in last year a little bit. So I like to, uh, I like to look at that. 
Um, they really struggled against the tight end last year. I like Delaney. I like him even more in, in, in uh, DraftKings where he gets some PPR. I think he'll be really active. You know, he's not really a big play guy, but I think he's going to see a lot of targets. Yeah, he, he could. And, and like the, the Miami side of this game is a little bit interesting, too. Like I think this team's kind of crap overall, uh, but I don't <laughs> think Tennessee's defense is necessarily going to be so good that Miami can't put points on the board in this spot. So they're going to be one of those teams where everyone's on Kenyon Drake, and I get it. 6600 is a very good price for him. Definitely like him in cash, maybe a little wary in GPPs, but probably not not avoiding him in those situations. Uh, but the, the passing game, is it going to be Gusecki at tight end? Who steps up under 5K on FanDuel? Is it going to be somebody else? Is it Kenny Stills as the deep threat? Is it Amendola as the PPR guy or Albert Wilson on the outside? Like, Is there any interest for you in the Dolphins pass catchers this week because this might be a group of players that is almost completely ignored in DFS outside of Kenyon Drake. Actually, uh, features one of my favorite plays this week. I love Kenny Stills at 6,000 in FanDuel. I love him with Dev- Devontae Parker's not going to play this week. He's wide receiver one. Uh, he's played with Tannehill before, which helps. You know, obviously, Gasecki was not there uh, two years ago when Tannehill was playing. I think I think Kenny Stills is underpriced at 6,000, but not at 4,500 Keelan Cole range where everybody's going to have him. I think he kind of slots in really nice there in the middle. At 6,000, I really like what you get from Kenny Stills. A, a tournament play, huge upside. You know, he can he's got a lot of speed. He can catch the long ball. Uh, he's a guy that's going to meet a bunch of my lineups where I'm kind of shooting for a tournament win. Yeah, 4,700 on DraftKings, too, so cheap Whew, on both sides. Love that. Yeah, I think uh, probably Amendola a little more on DraftKings where, you know, obviously the PPR, he could be that. He could be that, uh, you know, 8- to 10-yard guy that they used Jarvis Landry for last year. I mean, they don't have him anymore. They're going to need that in their offense somewhere, you know. So you got to like that uh, Amendola's going to catch a lot of passes. I just think Stills is the guy with the with the big upside. Would you rather play Blake Bortles at 5,600 on DraftKings or Ryan Tannehill at 5,300 on DraftKings for a tournament? Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, me too. And that's that's like it's not even really that close. And normally Ryan Tannehill's not on my radar at all. No, me too. Also there, I you know, Tennessee has a, has some injuries on the uh, on the front line. It doesn't we don't know if they're going to play or not yet, but some injuries up front, which uh, should help him in protection. Uh, I just think that Tannehill, it, this game is, has a, you know more chance to be interesting. Jacksonville could uh, you know get ahead with their defense really slows the game down. I just don't love their offense in that game, but uh, I think Tannehill's interesting this week. He's sixty two hundred on Fanduel. You mentioned his DraftKings price. Uh, if I were to go, you know, super low percentage, uh, cheap quarterback, I think Tannehill's the guy that I play this week. Yeah, and you'd, you'd pair him with Stills for tournaments. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a nice combo that I think comes in very low owned. That's it. I'm I'm doing a combo. I'm doing a Tannehill still stack on one of my teams. So we're, let's go. Love it. <laughs> Moving on to the uh, the one o'clock games. Uh, best game at one o'clock by far, uh, in my opinion, is the uh, the Chiefs Chargers game. Uh, Chargers are favored by three and a half. Still in their small little stadium where it's uh, built for soccer. Uh, over under is forty eight. Great game on the afternoon slate. The Chiefs have actually won the last eight games against the Chargers. There's a lot of uh, not so happy blood in between these two teams right now. The Chargers are foaming at the mouth to get to this game. Uh, you know everybody's fired up about Patrick Mahomes on the Chiefs side of the ball. He had that he had that pass in the preseason. We threw the ball seventy four yards in the air, wherever it was. It was insane to Tyreek Hill. Uh, do you see this game as a shootout? Because I think this is my favorite. Uh, you know both sides offense game. I I do i think joey bosa is a little banged up for the chargers too yep. so one of the key pieces in that pass rush might not be there uh so that opens things up even more for the chiefs uh, yeah i think this ends up being the highest scoring game of the week potentially uh, i know the over under for patriots texans is even higher it's the only game above 50 for the week but this wouldn't surprise me at all if, if this, this this turns into a track meet uh philip rivers is probably the quarterback play i like the most this week in terms of the price versus floor, 
I think the question you have to ask in tournaments is just how how heavily owned is he going to be against the Chiefs defense that was so bad last year? Uh, stacking Rivers with Keenan Allen, I mean, that's one of the first reads I would make. So with that, I expect it to be very chalky. You know, adjust accordingly based on the types of, of slates you're playing. But how much do you think people are going to be all over Mahomes at 6700 on FanDuel? It's such a crazy low price for a guy that has such tantalizing upside. I think the uh, the popularity of how how, many, how much people like the Chargers defense will keep people off him a little bit. Obviously, that price is really good, but I don't think he'll be too high. I think the price is really good, but I think the Chargers defense will kind of keep that down. Uh, they do have some injuries. The Joe Bosa news is definitely going to help that percentage go up a little bit. But if you go Mahomes, uh, do you pair him with Tyreek Hill? Do you pair him with Kelsey? Or you pair him with both? Uh, what would your strategy be with if you were going to play Mahomes? I think if I'm playing Mahomes, it's for a tournament lineup, so I'm probably just going to go ahead and throw Tyreek Hill in there at 7,300. I think his ceiling is still... Uh, higher than than that of Watkins and even that of Kelsey most weeks, uh, but it's it's reasonably close. I, I almost wonder if the Mahomes Hill stack is too it's going to be too popular. Like if that's going to be the the combo you want to avoid, where you'd want to go Mahomes Watkins instead, and then kind of go pricey running backs and and you know an expensive tight end like Gronk or something in the other spots. Do you know Travis Kelsey has never scored a touchdown against the Chargers? I did not know that. That is surprising. Last uh, last three last four years uh, he's been he's played him he's been in the league four years so he's played him eight times uh, never scored a touchdown last year he had forty seven yards combined against them in two games including a one for one game two thousand sixteen he was seven catches for eighty two yards including a one for eight game and two thousand fifteen had eighty eight combined yards in the two games he's in the last few years he hasn't topped a hundred yards total against the Chargers uh, they clearly have figured out something to do with Travis Kelsey I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't bench him in my season long but I think that's enough to kind of uh, shy me away from using him in DFS that is that's it's a great it's a great nugget I mean it's it's Andy Reid that's been there pretty much the entire time too so Reid hasn't really figured out some kind of adjustment to uh, make yep. Kelsey more productive so even more reason if you're going to go away from Hill instead of going to Kelsey uh, go over to Sammy Watkins for tournaments instead how about uh, how about Kareem Hunt at eight thousand? I uh, I really like Kareem Hunt. If Joey Bosa doesn't play, I like him even more. Uh, nice game script, you know. They're gonna be uh, it's close enough game where you don't anticipate one team being too far ahead. High over under. Uh, I love Kareem Hunt at eight thousand this week. Yeah, I love him even more on DraftKings for sixty nine hundred and getting the full PPR. Oh. But I think you can play him on wow, both sides. That's nice. I mean, it's weird how the pricing tails off on DraftKings. I think he's the sixth most expensive running back. So it's not like it's not like he's buried, but it's just like it, it's a. Uh, much steeper drop off so uh, definitely like hunt uh, on both sites i think you can you can use them in, in pretty much any sort of lineup format you mentioned uh, the rivers keenan allen stack i agree with you i think they'll be pretty uh, pretty popular i just i think there's enough quarterbacks and receivers that i wouldn't worry too much about the percentage there if you want to play them but the chiefs allowed 30.9 points per game to wide receivers on fanduel last year they were the worst in the nfl in that category uh they haven't got much better in the back end they really struggle with their secondary i think keenan allen's gonna gonna eat pretty well there but my question for you is uh rivers and allen is kind of obvious i don't think we need to talk about too much about that but with everybody liking rivers and allen together do you think melvin gordon goes under own this week I do, and I think the the other sneaky thing you could do if you wanted to mix it up in tournaments, and I would not do this on DraftKings where you're getting the full PPR on Allen, uh, I think you go to one of the other receivers. You go to Mike Williams or Tyrell Williams with Rivers and pair them up, and that's your that's your tournament combo, but um, it'd be a little off the wall, to, to say the least. But I think, yeah, Melvin Gordon kind of gets lost in the shuffle here. Uh, you could definitely run him out there. 6800 on DraftKings, very fair price there. Uh, and 8100 so $100 more than Hunt on FanDuel. Playable on both sites and probably a guy that gets ignored because people are going to be going after Leonard Fournette at 8000 flat. I think he's an easy 
build around kind of guy. Zeke's only 8,300. So he's just kind of around players that people were taking ahead of him in season long at the same prices. So that's going to kind of steer people away from Melvin Gordon. Yeah, you know he's going to get the volume, and I think he's going to be really under-owned also. Uh, you mentioned the two Williams. Uh, I think I like Mike Williams more this week. You know, Antonio Gates is just back. I think they're going to use Williams in the goal line packages. You know, Gates is only going to be able to play so much and missing the entire uh, training camp and all that. Who knows what kind of shape he's in. I think Williams is kind of their big red zone target right now, so I kind of like him earlier in the season and then maybe Tyrell a little bit later in the season. Yeah, I think in, in as we find out which teams have the biggest issues leaking big plays, I think when they get matchups against those teams, that's when Tyrell is going to kind of creep up uh, on my list of interest but I think you're right I think if you're looking to find the more established option for red zone targets Mike Williams is probably that guy to begin the season yeah this is gonna be a really fun game I, I this is definitely the uh, the big screen game in my garage oh absolutely that, that's gonna be the best of those four late afternoon games uh, next game is uh, Seattle at Denver, which probably sounded a little bit better a couple years ago. Uh, Denver's favored by three in this game, over under of 43. On the Seattle side, I don't really get great vibes from this offense at the moment, uh, especially going into Denver. Tough place to play. Pretty good defense. You know, Russell Wilson's great. He's fully priced at 7,900. I just I don't think this is a spot that I want to use him in with other options I like more. No, I want to see Doug Baldwin and where he's at with his knee before I roll him out yeah. there. In tournaments, Tyler Lockett at 5,600 might play. Uh, that might be something I'd consider, but I think the interest for me is on the Denver side. Uh, Royce Freeman's at six thousand. I'm a little worried he's going to get priced <laughs> up or owned, owned up a little bit because of right. that low price on FanDuel. Uh, but I think the, the receivers might be a little bit overlooked, even though they're cheap. I think Demarius Thomas at seven thousand and Emmanuel Sanders at sixty three hundred are among the receivers that will be kind of ignored because of some of the bargains we've talked about earlier in this episode. Do you buy in that the Seattle secondary is nowhere near what it was before and we shouldn't be scared of them anymore? Yeah, I mean, I I think they could be average or a little above average, but I certainly think it'd be a stretch to assume that they're going to be elite and good enough to steer you away from opposing teams' number one receivers. Yeah, I agree there. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders has a lot of hype right now. You know, Case Keenum really liked the, the slot receivers in Minnesota, a lot of plays to Adam Thielen. I wonder if Demarius Thomas at 7,000, you know, cheap but not uh, not super cheap. I wonder if he's going to be overlooked. I think he could be super like a like a 4% kind of guy. Yeah, he's kind of like the Melvin Gordon of receivers. I mean, yep. a third, fourth-round fantasy guys that have a late first-rounder, but I, I just think people are going to ignore Demarius Thomas for, for all the wrong reasons this week. Yeah, I, I agree there, too. I think Case Keenum is uh, a little bit better than people think, too. I really liked what I saw with him in Minnesota. Obviously, a lot of good targets last year, and he played really well indoors. I'll have to see what he can do out, outdoors. But, you know, in the September, the weather's still going to be pretty good. Um, I think that he's going to get the ball to those two guys enough that they'll be playable. Keenum or Ryan Tannehill with a $100 difference between them? I think I still go I still go Tannehill in that game against Tennessee. Uh, you know, I don't like the Seattle defense anymore, but I think they're still going to be still going to be pretty decent. Uh, I think I just like uh, I think I'd like Tannehill a little bit more, but I wouldn't hate Keenum as a play if you, if you liked him. I wouldn't argue against him. Yeah, just one of those guys that I don't think is going to get played much at all, but in, in tournament settings, at least has two very good receivers, maybe three too. I mean, I think the reports on Cortland Sutton were pretty encouraging. I don't know how much they're going to use him right away, but if one of Thomas or Sanders were to get hurt at some point, Sutton might be the kind of guy that helps season-long owners like win a league if it's a, if it's a lengthy absence. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, too. I just saw Steve Sarkeesian on my screen. I almost yelled throw it to Julio, uh, but I've really, that wouldn't be good during the middle of the podcast. Nice job showing restraint. <laughs> yeah, you know, we all have our strengths. Um, next game, we have the Cowboys headed to Carolina. Carolina fared by three over under 42 and a half. 
The Dallas offense is interesting. I'm not sure that I can trust the pass offense. Uh, I want to see what receivers emerge, who gets the ball. Dak finished 2018 so badly. He's kind of a wait and see for me. I think the only guy that's interesting here is Ezekiel Elliott. I just don't know how the Cowboys offensive line will be without Travis Frederick. Obviously, he has the has the illness where he's not going to be playing for a little bit. Um, I just wonder how much Carolina is going to stack the hell out of the box. I think they will do that as much as they possibly can. I think you see a lot of eight-man yeah. boxes, and Zeke can be... Still productive because the volume's going to be there, but at 8300 it's like you can pay 300 more for David Johnson. You can pay 200 less for Melvin Gordon, which we talked about as a play we both like. Kareem Hunt's right. 300 less. Fournette's 300 less. Like it, It's so easy to talk yourself out of Zeke and say, let's just see what this line looks like without Frederick. Let's see what this offense is doing as a whole. And you know, Carolina's not a pushover defense either, so I think that's part of the reason why I'm a little bit uh, hesitant to invest in Zeke this week as well. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I think I probably won't have uh, any Dallas offensive players in any of my lineups, and uh, hopefully that works out. Over under this game is 42.5. What about the Carolina side? Christian McCaffrey is the, the 2008 poster boy for hype right now. All the work in the preseason, all the quotes about 25, 30 carries a game, whatever the craziness is. Obviously a monster in PPR in DraftKings. You get you know a point per. He can catch seven, eight passes a game easily. Do you think they're really going to workhorse him quite as much as they say they're going to? I don't think they will. I think they I mean they used him so much in the preseason in part because they were just yeah. trying to see what he really is as a runner. I think even if they <laughs> use him more, he still has to contend with Cam Newton at the goal line, which takes away a lot of valuable carries there. You've seen tons of McCaffrey being a Stanford guy. Yep. You've, you've seen him break big plays. We saw the one in the preseason too. That was something he didn't do last year. He didn't take those those touches and, and rip off 20-plus yard carries very often. I think he had one all season, which was really kind of unexpected and, and bizarre. Even if he struggled to the tackles, just getting to the second level and getting away from everybody was something I thought he would do. So I think he can be better this year, even if the volume doesn't go up. But I think trying to rely on him week in and week out in DFS is a little bit tricky outside of DraftKings. I think you need to be getting that full point PPR to justify paying up a top 10 running back sort of price for Christian McCaffrey. How were you on his uh, on his draft price kind of late in the first round? Were you a buyer in there or were you you prefer other guys? I was grateful, except for the fact that there weren't <laughs> many situations where I was able to take advantage of it. Like if I were on the bottom end of the one two turn and somebody pushed McCaffrey up to round one and I could reap the benefits of someone falling directly, then, you know, that was that was awesome. In the drafts where it was happening, I was far enough back in round two where all it was doing was basically just flipping the order of two guys I wasn't going to get anyway. So. I think it was too bold, but hey, you know what? I I understand why people like Christian McCaffrey as an upside guy. I don't know. I don't know why exactly people were paying first round picks to get it. Yeah, I tend to agree. Obviously, I love McCaffrey being a Stanford fan, but uh, I was not paying that price, and that's something to me that I wasn't really to pay, willing to pay up for him. What about uh, the Panthers' pass offense? Anything you like here? This is definitely a wait and see for me. I'm a little hesitant to buy into Greg Olson. I think coming off that foot injury from last year. There's a major question there. Uh, you look at Devin Funches. He's got DJ Moore now pushing him for targets. They got Torrey Smith for the deep ball. You know, that's that's a lot of uncertainty. So I'm generally staying away. If I had to play one, it's probably Funches, but I don't feel great about it because I think there's a lot of ways this can go. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't like Funches either. I noticed that uh, you know when when Kelvin Benjamin or Greg Olson played, he was just not the target monster he was. Otherwise, he, a lot of his work was when those two guys were injured. 
Yeah, I'm kind of a stay away too. I think I want to see how it works out. You know, Olsen at 6,300 is not poorly priced, but there's other tight ends I like more. I'd pay up uh, for Gronk or I'd pay a little bit down for Delaney Walker instead. And Cam Newton, 8,100. I think there's other quarterbacks I like more. You know, obviously his rushing helps so much, but they have a low over-under in this game. I don't really know how this game's going to work out. You know, close spread, uh, but I don't think it's going to be an offensive shootout, so I'm probably just going to stay away from Cam at the price. Yeah, I would find the extra three or 500 and go to Breeze or Brady instead as opposed to paying up 8,100 for Cam. Uh, I fully agree. Or I'd go down to someone like Rivers or, you know, even further down to Andy Dalton we talked about earlier. Uh, last game in the afternoon, uh, kind of a, a tough game to figure out, too. We have the Redskins heading to Arizona to face the Cardinals. Arizona's fared by one, so pretty much a toss-up game, over under only 43 and a half. On the Washington side, Adrian Peterson, we're actually talking about him again, 6,300. Any interest at all? No, I mean, I think Arizona is going to be pretty good against the run. I think Washington's one of those offenses that it's a total mystery box. Like a lot of these late afternoon games uh, between Washington, Arizona, Seattle to an extent, Dallas, and in Carolina's receivers. Like there's a lot of questions to be answered in this late yeah. group of games. And uh, this game, Washington, Arizona might have the most questions outside of David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald. I don't know what anyone in either of these offenses <laughs> is going to do. Like the rest of these guys are all question marks for me. Like, how effective is Sam Bradford going to be? How effective is Alex Smith going to be moving into a new offense? We've seen him struggle moving into new offenses or getting new offensive coordinators for most of his career. Like he finally started to have success in Kansas City because he finally had continuity with Andy Reid and company there. So I kind of think Smith's going to take a step back. I think the Washington receivers are pretty bad between Crowder, Doxon, Richardson. They're all cheap this week. I don't want them. So I think it's really simple. I'm looking at David Johnson as a guy to pay up for. And I'm thinking about Fitz as one of those old, boring guys that might be under-owned because he's old and boring. So you're saying that Alex Smith with six offensive coordinators in six years in San Francisco was a bad idea? Yeah, yeah. I mean, remember, the, the ham salad that uh, is the head coach of the Packers passed on on Aaron Rodgers for Alex Smith at the time. So, you know, he's he's brilliant. I haven't forgotten the 49ers passed on Aaron Rodgers either. That one, that one still hurts a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, it, who knows? Like, the the way things were going then... Maybe it doesn't yeah, play out true. the same way. Like it, it's, it probably would have, but maybe it wouldn't have. Yeah, you never know. But uh, uh, you talk about fits. You know, I think with Bradford, that's a pretty good fit. Yeah, I think Bradford's gonna, you know, check down some a lot of those short routes, those short slants and stops. I think that Fitzgerald. I, I like him more on DraftKings with a, with his uh, full PPR. He's kind of he'll be a target monster. He's gonna get the ball. Uh, my interesting play on Arizona. If I were to go cheap at tight end, and I was trying to save some money. I kind of like Ricky Seals-Jones at 5,100. He led tight ends last year in yards per catch at 16.8 yards per catch. Didn't have a lot of work, but uh, when he did, he looked pretty good, looked pretty athletic, looks talented. Uh, if I'm going to punt at tight end, I think it's going to be Seals-Jones. Yeah, he's 3,000 on DraftKings. I mean, that's that's oh, an amazing that. punt. That's 500 above yeah. the salary floor on DraftKings for Ricky Seals-Jones for tournament purposes. And I mean, you look at their you look at their receivers, and there's a there's a pretty good chance he's going to see the ball a lot. I mean, he's a starting tight end right now. They've got what Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk is you know kind of a, a good um, short target guy too. But Chad Williams, J.J. Nelson, Trent Sherfield is their fifth running wide receiver. I got to think Seals Jones will be pretty involved. Yeah, I don't think J.J. Nelson really fits Sam Bradford's skill set. So um, <laughs> no. It's going to be a lot of fits and and Kirk underneath. Kirk's an interesting player. He's definitely somebody I want to watch these first few weeks just to get a sense for where his value is going to be in his rookie season. I think there's a lot to like about him. Uh, But yeah, I think it's Fitz, you know, David Johnson, of course, out of the backfield and perhaps Ricky Seals-Jones as that number three receiver effectively in the pecking order for targets. 
Yeah, if you're looking for a punt on DraftKings, you have to still be listening as we're on the last game here. I think Ricky Seals-Jones at 3,000 is a fantastic play. I, I can't can't argue against it for all those reasons. It's just kind of a, a mess of a team right now. And you know, around the red zone especially, it's it's probably something to Johnson, something to Fitz, or something to Seals-Jones. So that's it's pretty decent. Uh, real quick, uh, I've, I've kept you on here a long time, but we got the Sunday night game. Some people have the full Sunday slate. Uh, talk about it since it's your Packers uh, facing uh, home, at home against the Bears. Packers appeared by 7.5, over under 47.5. Uh, you're the Packers fan. I'll let you talk. How do you see this game going? I think the line's actually a little too big. I think the Bears okay. are going to keep it within like three or four, and I think that's good if you've uh, got an investment in Aaron Rodgers. So I think he's 8,700 on FanDuel. If you, if you play a slate where he's on it, I'm not necessarily paying that much for any quarterback this week. I'm not going to talk you out of it if that's what you like. I think the question with, with the Packers comes down to the, the passing game behind Devontae Adams. Like, Is Jimmy Graham going to get number two wide receiver volume? Or is Randall Cobb going to have still a meaningful role? And then beyond that, is it Geronimo Allison? Is it one of the rookies? It's totally wide open right now. So I think, for me, the confidence is more in a guy like Jamal Williams. Uh, if I'm going to go to the running game, and you know, Devontae Adams is, is fine as usual, but I'm probably not paying up for Aaron Rodgers unless I'm playing a very small slate to include the Sunday night game. Are you at all a late-game hammer person? Do you like to have a guy in the Sunday night game on slates that it's included? Do you like to have that you know last time to catch up at all? Or you do, do you think that you're just trying to score the most points? You're not going to worry about that. I know that I know people on both sides of that argument. I just want to score the most points. I, I, yeah. I don't... I don't want to talk myself into something that's less than ideal just to have a little bit of, of comfort. I mean, that's, that's the guarantee on the box of the brake pads and Tommy Boy, right? Like, that's, that's what you're doing. <laughs> you're just making yourself feel better, but it's not actually doing anything for you. Got to tell you, I'm impressed. You started the podcast with the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory reference, then you went to Tommy Boy to end it. That's, uh, that's, you're, you're spanning the globe right there. I have a lot of range. I had a weird childhood. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, that's that's open for discussion. We'll have to we'll have to hit that on a on a later podcast. You just left a you just opened a door right there. Yeah, I know. It's it, we'll 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 have therapy week in and week out. We'll we'll get everything right hopefully over time. But um, yeah, hopefully hopefully this ends up being a an insightful week one pod. I know for you and I, I mean we're we're heavily invested in season long baseball. Uh, and and week one when it comes up, it it's still from a DFS perspective, it, it, we're both I think more more inclined to look at things as they're happening in season and make quick adjustments than to have a, a strong conviction about off-season things playing out exactly the way they're supposed to. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think that uh, week one's tough for me because I do like, like you said, I like to I like to watch games. I like to see what I, see what's developing and and kind of go from there. But I think that uh, I think that we uh, there's a lot of info in week one actually that uh, I thought it, it was a uh, a little more uh, full of info than I thought. We we actually uh, had some stuff that uh, more info than I thought we would. We considering there's been no games played yet. Yeah, then we then we did well. Cool. Anything uh, anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, I mean, if people want to check out the tools in the site, the optimizer is a lot more mobile friendly now, so that'll work better on tablets and phones and all that. Rotowire.com slash pod. Get a free 10 day trial if you're not already a subscriber. Check out the articles, you know, check out everything we're doing. There's a ton of tools up right now. Beautiful. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you could please rate or review the podcast, if you enjoy listening to us, we'd greatly appreciate that. We'll be up on the uh, the Rotowire football podcast and the Rotowire DFS podcast. So definitely subscribe to both of those. 
Other than that, uh, Derek, uh, we'll have a we'll have a full slate to uh, to break down next week, and also we'll have a full uh, a full slate of results of games to break down. So it should be uh, should be a fun week. I appreciate you jumping on, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. Hopefully, we'll have a pentathlon auction in the books between now and next week as well. If not, uh, if not, we're in trouble. Yes, agreed. <laughs> All right, man. Take it easy. We'll talk later. All right, thanks, Scott. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.